This week, we tackled the debate around encryption on the TICE podcast. Hello, I'm Anna, editor at TICE. I hope you're all keeping healthy and sane in these unsettling times triggered by the COVID-19 pandemic. If you're cooped up at home in need of some distraction, then listen to this podcast with Jake Moore, cybersecurity specialist at ESET. We dissect the debate around encryption and discuss government policy on backdoors, how citizens' privacy can be protected in this data-hungry world, and whether government backdoors, combined with data protection legislation, can really work together and find a happy medium. Jake, tell me what interests you about encryption. I'm fascinated with the fact that encryption is desperately needed. It's required to create and keep the internet safe. Yet, encryption itself is a bone of contention for law enforcement who are always trying to find some sort of backdoor into helping investigations. Yet, I don't think the government fully understand what a backdoor is. Because if you create a backdoor for everyone, um, then that means anyone could get into it. It can't just be the government that can get into uh, and break encryption. What, what do you understand by backdoor? Um, so if law enforcement were able to, I don't know, have a magic decryption key and get into, I don't know, an encrypted device, then they can find the proof that works in their favour in some, any investigation then it's going to, to break the internet completely because people have to have things locked up in encryption to keep them safe from other attackers. You'd have so many cyber attacks if there was uh, some sort of backdoor into the encryption. Tell me more about this break the internet. It has the power to break the okay, internet. Okay, so if you have a way of breaking encryption, then... The way that we know the internet today won't be able to work. So banking on the internet requires encryption. Sending messages requires encryption. Everything is about encryption because it's all about privacy and keeping data secure. So if you can't keep data secure going from A to B, that means someone could attack it along the line. And if that could happen, then no one would use it. Hence, you wouldn't have an internet. Do you think the encryption debate is, is too, too simplified? say, in the media, because from what I see, more encryption means more privacy, and government backdoors would mean less security for all users. But is it really that simple? It's not at all, but the government want to make it simple, but I have a feeling that they're not listening to security professionals. They just are so used to investigating where they want and how they want, because they've got the power of the law behind them, which says... I demand to know X, Y, and Z, and then they can sift through all that data, which may turn out to be evidence. That's what they want with encryption. But when the security world say to them, that's not possible, they stamp their feet and get angry. So they need to be listening to the professionals who are saying, what you're asking for is actually not possible. Does full encryption actually exist? Good quality full encryption, yes, does exist. Can it be broken? Possibly, but unlikely. It depends on the encryption you're using. You can use some very, 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 very strong encryption. And the only way to break that is through a brute force method, which means trying every possible combination. If you had supercomputers 
to throw all that computing power at that um, decryption key. There is a chance in a certain amount of time, which could be even thousands of years, then it would possibly break it. But, um, but realistically, if it's good encryption, brute force shouldn't get through it. So do you think backdoors for governments mean less security? Well, if you create a backdoor for the government to use, you haven't got any security at all because you can't just make up a backdoor for government only because the bad guys are going to find out about it. You know, I'll refer to what Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, has said. He's got a good quote that says, you can't have a backdoor that's only for the good guys. He's absolutely right. Why not? Why, because, why do you think? Because any vulnerability that's known by one person will get found out about someone else. There are hackers out there, whether they're ethical or unethical, that will be able to find that vulnerability because they're very, very clever people. They don't stop at anything and they will look for those vulnerabilities. And the vulnerability is essentially a back door. And so you're not going to uh, be able to break that encryption and just get that data out when the government want it to find what data is on the hard drive, just sometimes and not at other times. You just have to have one or the other. But in the name of protecting citizens, where do you stand on this debate? You have to look after everyone here, and that's why I believe strong encryption is absolutely needed. And when the... For people's privacy? Oh, absolutely, for their privacy. They are entitled to keep their data private, and they're also entitled to keep their data secure. You don't want to think that someone could get into your bank account or get into your phone or your hard drive, for example, for example if it's been... Um, encrypted fully. You don't want to have that, that worry. And so we must keep encryption at the highest level. And then when law enforcement want to come along and try and break it, they've got to look at other ways around it. They've got to maybe try and talk to whoever can give them the decryption key um, as, a, as a way of, of getting their investigation across. It's funny because you can see it in terms of your own privacy, you know, I, I absolutely think that uh, privacy should be protected. Mm. The individual's privacy should be protected. But then you look at a case like a rape case or, or a shooting of children, and you think, absolutely not. We need to know that information. Where do you start? You know, when you hear these mm. stories, it, it's a frustration for the police. They're going to want to know as much as they can to aid their investigation. Actually, if you look at the San Bernardino case uh, with the shooting. It's a famous case where the FBI demanded the data from an iPhone from Apple. So they had um, a phone they couldn't get into because the suspect had been shot, but they wanted to know the data that was on the phone. So they went to Apple and said, can I have the data back? Can you get into it? And Apple, quite rightly, said, no, we can't get into that device. And they said, well, that's absurd. Of course we should be able to get into that device with the FBI. Now, security professionals around the world stood solid and strong with Apple and said, no, that is the whole basis of encryption. You can't get into it. Big fight. Um, and it grew so huge, it went to court. But just before it went to court, just before the trial, a third party who remain slightly nameless 
got involved and said, we think we can help. And they did, because the iOS that was used at the time was slightly older. If it had been the most up-to-date, they would have even said they couldn't get into it. So as it was a slightly older one, they said, no, we can do it. And all they, all they do is go through um, the back of the phone and they brute force it. And I used to work for the police and used to use similar software to what was used where they used to go through all the numbers. It was only a four-digit code, so there's only a thousand codes to, uh, to go through. You start at all the zeros and you go all the way up to all the nines. And after a while, you will get through it. So what happened? So um, they got into the phone. They then got all the data. Everyone, you could say, is a winner there because the FBI had the data on the phone and Apple hadn't given a back door. So there may be ways round, even if a company says, well, we have full end-to-end -end mm. encryption, another third party might be able to, to hack the system or, or, or yeah. find loopholes, which are not technically illegal. So those loopholes are effectively hackers trying to find those vulnerabilities again. There are people around the world that will constantly try and break the encryption on a device. And if you take Apple again, there are people that will always try and get through the, um, the full encryption on an iPhone. The police, to my knowledge, do have software that can break into locked Apple iPhones. Um, they're not allowed to say who it is that they're using, but they are able to do so. So that's ironically a slight loophole in there that the police can get into those phones but it means the software that's used to get into them has to be constantly updated with the ethical hackers help to try and use it that's not on the street you can't go and buy this software if you're just Joe Bloggs you have to be law enforcement to even buy it which is it's quite expensive mm. but where do you stand on this debate in terms of law, you know, ex-law enforcement, how do you see it with that hat? I stand strong with the security professionals, the infosec world that say encryption should not be broken and all of these companies need to work together to try and make sure that we can't brute force easily enough into these devices. Do you think there is a way that, um, say, government-mandated backdoors combined with data protection legislation mm. can work together? Is there, is there a happy medium? I don't think so, to be completely honest, because if you look at full disk encryption on a hard drive of a laptop, say the decryption key is 16 plus characters long, there is little chance that GCHQ will be able to use their superpower computers to break that encryption with brute force alone. They're just not going to be able to do it. The way that they break into this encryption is if people are, let's say, lazy and are using short decryption keys, and let's say six, eight characters long, something like that. That can be brute forced in a matter of um, days, for example. Maybe even seconds if they've got the right computer power behind it. But so the longer it is, the exponential the graph goes with how long it will take to break into it. So as 
more and more criminals are using encryption for themselves, it's more of a frustration, yes, for the police to go and get into those devices. But there will never be a way to break that um, in the fullness encryption. And in, in some cases, I've seen they're giving hard drives back to criminals without knowing what's on that device at all. The only way they can really do it is when quantum computing comes in mm -hmm. and says that they can brute force, I don't know, a hundred, a thousand-fold amount of combinations to break that encryption key. So you could have an encryption key that's 32, 32 characters long, but then if the quantum computing can compute, I don't know, let's say, a hundred million different uh, codes a second, then there is a chance that it will speed up the process into breaking that. But by then, we'll have uh, stronger encryption in the first place. So it, it's a cat and mouse game, and at the moment, we are behind the speed in which we can get into it. So, so what sort of time frame are we thinking? I really can't say that because I don't know how long it'll be until mm. quantum computing is really in daily usage. And in, in terms of what you see the government is saying, the British government, um, are they being clear enough about their plans? For well, no, it looks to me like they're throwing their toys at the pram mm. and having a go at all the tech giants, saying, we want to get into these devices, we want to get into computers, and they want to blame the, the tech world for it, which ironically makes them look worse off. It makes them realise that, it makes us realise that they don't know what they're talking about. And so if, if um, Parliament and MPs are saying we must get into it and trying to get the public on their side, then I don't think that's the right way about it because it, it actually makes them look worse because it's impossible to get into the majority of these devices without knowing the decryption key. Funny though, because I think the tech giants are sort of avoiding responsibility in many cases. They collect all this data, they profit from it. Do you not think in some way they should have some responsibility in terms of security? I mean, what is the benefit to Mark Zuckerberg for having end-to-end -end encryption with the messaging services? What is the benefit? Does, does he do anything without a benefit to him? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the benefit to him and Facebook is to have full end-to-end -end encryption on WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. However, it might entice more people to use it because it ensures that people can't intercept those messages. For example, SMS messages are famously known to be intercepted um, and you can do many different attacks on SIM cards and phone numbers to intercept those, the, those text messages and calls and so on. So to use end-to-end -end encryption gets rid of that. That makes people feel like there's a privacy uh, bubble around it. However, if you look into it more closely, there is a theory that Facebook can read your WhatsApp messages and Facebook Messenger messages and even Instagram um, direct messages because they own all of them. I'm well, not entirely sure of that, but there is a theory that they are able to read them. So there's a theory. What, what, tell me more about so the theory. So that, that theory suggests that they're able to read the messages 
that are going between um, A and B on WhatsApp. The benefit there would be, so Facebook is able to then target you with adverts. If you're, for example, writing in there that you're interested in buying a TV to your friend, then you are then worth more to Facebook to then sell that profile to a TV manufacturer to say this person's in um, is interested in buying a TV and then you might see ads list on your feed for different TV manufacturers. So that's a very good way of them making it. Now that's not being proven, I'm just saying that's a theory. What, what do you think? Well, that's, that's a tough question. <laughs> have, you have you tested it out? Um, yes, but it's very difficult to test this because Lots of people think that phones are listening to us all the time. They think that social media platforms are listening to our conversations. It's been, in quotes, proven by lots of people. But then we're forgetting that we are a profile on the internet. We have a name and an age uh, and our sex and our demographic. In, imagine a massive database. And then it would go next to that what hobbies you're into. Um, what the chances of you having children in the next few years are, all those different things um, come together and create that profile. And those types of things are very, very powerful and can uh, be a hell of a lot of money to the company. Are they able to read our messages though? I'm not sure. I've tested it, but I'm still unknown because there's a magnitude of different factors that create that profile. Citizens might be thinking, well, why should we care about any of this? Just let, let them do what they, they do. What, what, what would you say to that? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, lots of people will say to me, I don't care if I'm targeted with adverts. I'd rather have relevant ads than ads that aren't anything to do with me altogether. That's a good theory. And that's a, I mean, older people will say that's a millennial theory or a Gen Z way of thinking. But I kind of I like that. I, I think that's relevant to them and then great, everyone seems to be a winner. The older generations might not like their data being out there, but it is. If you own a device, then your data is out there. There's lots of arguments to say they know where you are all the time because we have geolocation on lots of apps. Um, whether you, if you have a Google account, for example, you're going to be entering your data without you realizing into Google Maps. But that's extremely effective because then you can see real-time data on Google Maps and everyone's um, happy with that, it seems, because it helps their journey time. There's lots of good reasons around it. And younger people are just going, you know what, meh, I don't care. They can have my data. It's not really going to impact my life badly. What I seem to care about, just like the InfoSec world, is about the security of it. I don't want data that we do care about getting out of the wrong wrong hands. So I, I care about if a company and a website is breached with our data on it. And if we've got our credit card details stored in a website, I want to know that that website is encrypted. And so if they get a breach, then my data won't go. And that's where companies need to really look down on their data, on the networks. How encrypted is it? Because if it's not encrypted well, then our personal details will get out there into the wrong hands and we haven't got control on that, and that's where I think it's wrong. In terms of accessing that information, how easy is it? When you mm. go out and try and do your research, is it easily accessible? Yeah. Oh, um, so there are all sorts of criminal hackers out there that are trying to get data 
from all sorts of websites all the time. I mean, today as we speak, there's been another breach of a jewellery website that's had loads of data taken, including credit card information and the CVV number on the back. I mean, this is pretty personal stuff, and if those people aren't notified instantly, there's a good chance that that data will jump onto the dark web within seconds and be sold. When I've done my research on the dark web, yes, you can find data on there very, very easily. And that becomes a, a huge issue. So there are lots of people that may have used that website and other websites that have been breached many years ago, months ago, whatever, and then not check their emails that day, that month, or whatever. Um, because uh, lots of people use separate emails, so they don't check those every day to buy and purchase from the internet. And then that data is compromised. That's why we've got a huge problem. The criminal hackers out there are keen to get hold of relevant information, such as credit card details, and they're selling them off, and they're cheap. Mm. And any ideas about what's going to happen in the coming year in this space? Oh, it's going to continue. I mean, there are many companies still out there that haven't got the right encryption in place on their own sites. They haven't thought about um, what to do should a breach happen. People don't tend to have these policies and procedures in place because they think it won't happen. And it will just continue. But what I can say is to people is to look after themselves when their data is out there, is to always think about two-factor authentication and two-factor authentication that's not using SMS. We must be teaching people to go on to Google Authenticator or other authenticator applications that create these 2FA codes. What's your qualm about SMS? So, so SMS is, like I said earlier, uh, vulnerable to many different types of attack. I could SIM swap with someone in a matter of hours and have their text messages and therefore SMS 2FA codes come to my device of choice. And so we must try and protect people. First of all, we, we tell people all the time to have complex passwords, but what we really want to be doing is making people think about the 2FA, but away from SMS. Let's get rid of that altogether. And authenticated apps like Google Authenticator are so, so much more secure because they use encryption direct straight to your phone and they're using the, the device itself to make it more secure. It can't then be intercepted. Those codes are changed every 20 or 30 seconds and then when they get put back into the device, it makes it much, much, much harder for those cyber criminals to enter your account. Thanks to Jake Moore. I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about movements in this space in the coming months and years. That's all for this week. We have a whole selection of podcasts for you on iTunes and on our website, so do share them amongst friends and colleagues. I think we're all in need of some distraction at the moment. Remember, you can message me on at Tice, that's Twitter, T-E-I-S-S, for podcast topic requests. I'd love to hear from you. Wishing you a safe and secure week ahead. Join us next time for more Cyber Conversations. Cyber Conversations.